Hello and welcome to Exit Velo, episode 54. I am your host for the evening, Henry Winklehake, joined here with my pal and fellow baseball enthusiast, Ben Rossi. How's it going, Ben? I mean, I'm just overcome with a lot of emotions of what has happened today. It's just, it's just been incredible. I just feel like woke up felt like we were in a new world and i mean this weekend but i mean we got i mean we have some baseball but i think though you we have some baseball we got to cover though and just i mean just the ability to cover baseball through all this is just it's just really incredible but now it's on like a more positive note i'd say today but yeah it's been an interesting week in baseball for sure and it's there's been a lot of there's been a lot of interesting questionable moves. So let's get right down to it. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you touched on it, Ben. Uh, all that's going on in the world, certainly in the political climate, definitely an eventful uh, day and an eventful past couple of days. Um, and I imagine many more eventful ones ahead. Uh, but certainly, like you mentioned as well. A lot of baseball action to break down, thankfully. Uh, just because the World Series is over doesn't mean the baseball news is going to stop. And Exit Velo is going to keep bringing, to it, bringing it to you every week, so we are happy to be on. Uh, mostly, we're going to talk some manager moves, and then we're going to talk a little bit of end-of-season awards. Things looking a little bit different this year, uh, naturally, just as everything's looked a little bit different in 2020. Uh, but the story I want to start off with, uh, not really a huge story, I guess. Maybe that's because of the outcome. But Justin Turner uh, testing positive during Game 6 of the World Series and then um, later being on the field celebrating with his teammates after the victory when the Dodgers had won it, not wearing a mask, uh, refusing to isolate from his team. It turns out there is going to be no punishment for Justin Turner. He apologized to the league. Uh, the league accepted, and I guess that is the end of that. Ben, what are, what are your thoughts on the matter? Well, I mean, Justin Turner, he is – it's a real class class act thing how he did how he did own up to it and didn't say like oh i just needed to sell a bray and everything like that but at the same time it makes me i don't know somewhat wonder about the league's integrity with the actions they've taken because again the league didn't take action against someone who is who who was like not abiding by like certain basic protocols i mean i don't know if it's as bad as you as see like that how they handled the Astro situation with the players and let the players go there. But I just think if you compare it to a lot of other guys in baseball history who have had to undergo punishments for things that didn't seem as severe, it's a, it's a little bit, it's a little bit sur surprising that there was not much action taken against Justin Turner. But at the same time, I am glad that his legacy, like I, like I always talk about how his legacy might be ruined by what would, Happen. I'm kind of glad that that wasn't the case at the same time because now he still has a legacy as like a great World Series hero and a legend. And I mean, he deserves that legacy as a veteran in the league too. So in some ways, it's good that they're not taking away that legacy. Yeah, and I kind of get that too, just letting the players celebrate after and be happy. But certainly a different situation with Justin Turner knowingly uh, being positive for COVID-19 and then still going out there without a mask. I thought maybe the league at least would give him a slap on the wrist, but 
I hadn't really thought about the Astros in the context of this, but bringing that up, you make a good point, Ben. Uh, if if they're not going to punish the Astros for sign stealing, then I mean, you're maybe not going to punish uh, Justin Turner in this situation. At least you know he's not changing the outcome of the game uh, and the World Series with what he's doing. So perhaps uh, a little bit different there, but. Moving on from Justin Turner, another big piece of baseball news this week, the Mets finalizing uh, the sale of the team to extravagant billionaire Steve Cohen, and he is cleaning house almost immediately, uh, firing GM Brody and Wagonen and pretty much most of the front office. I know several of the assistant GMs, uh, the scouting and player development head, uh, executive director of player development. They're, they are cleaning house. Uh, Steve Cohen making it clear he wants his guys in there in New York. Ben, were you surprised to see Brody getting the axe or, or maybe not expecting it so soon? Yeah, it was. <laughs> I did not. I mean, seeing that Brody, I didn't realize that he, that it was just within barely even a year that Brody had been the GM and the Mets. Like, it's just a, it was just because he was barely hired only like at the beginning of the 2019 season. So yes, that was shocking considering that. I mean, while the Mets, you could say they underperformed like this season with some of the expectations of last season. I would say though, that's really not the GM's fault with a lot of what happened because a lot of that had to do with things like there were a lot of other factors like injuries and I mean, who, who knew that like certain players weren't going to perform as well. And the team still looked to have a really good future but i mean i can kind of see the move of like a new owner just wanting to kind of start from scratch because that does happen quite a bit when teams get new owners so i i can always see merit to that whenever a new owner does take over a team and, and wants to like clean house but i'm a little bit shocked that they clean house with brody van wagon that that quickly i would say And, and I kind of get it, too, in the sense that it's it's the Mets and they kind of just have a reputation for not being a very good front office historically, not being good ownership. Uh, so maybe the new owner trying to come in and distance himself from as much of that as possible. Maybe it's an appearance thing that he wants a fresh start, a clean state, a clean slate, if you will, and trying to turn this franchise around. Um, it, it did strike me a little bit as odd too. Brody only having been there for a year. Um, he, I don't think he's responsible, you know, certainly not responsible for any of like the long-term Mets historical failure. Um, they weren't very good this season, but like you said as well, it was a lot of things that weren't in his control. Like he didn't make Noah Syndergaard get hurt. Uh, he didn't make Pete Alonzo not really follow up his, his amazing rookie of the year season the way people thought he would. Uh, the Mets just had disappointing years. The Mets so often do and new owner coming in, trying to change the vibes a little bit and get his guys in place. Um, I kind of was worried. Uh, I'm, I'm getting less and less optimistic that the OF team is going to be sticking around in Chicago. I was thinking maybe that could be a good fit. Move on a team that's already pretty good. If not the Cleveland Indians, I've thought about that as well. Um, but enough conspiracy theories. I don't want to go too far down the wormhole here. But I think it's fair to speculate if Luis Rojas is still going to be the manager of the Mets. Is Cohen really going to clean house all the way to that extent and get rid of the manager who is yet to coach a game? Yeah, I mean, that's one thing that I was thinking about, too. They've already went through, like, uh, some crazy manager sweeps. Like, the fact that they already had gotten rid of Carlos Beltran before he was about to coach 
to coach a game. <laughs> I mean, now it's making me wonder seeing what oh, the Red Sox did. What? Sorry. I was just saying, man, that would be insane if they did it twice. Get rid of two managers before they coach a single game. Yeah, no, that would really be bizarre. I mean, it would be pretty scripted to see in the fashion it does because I know we're going to get to later about the Red Sox recent rehiring of Alex Cora. Who knows? What if the Mets suddenly see the Red Sox example and are like, you know what? We got to give Carlos Beltran another chance. He served his suspension. He's done his thing. He didn't get to coach us yet. He, we, he hasn't gotten to prove himself as a manager. So, Maybe we could give him a chance, but that's just a thought, though. I'm not trying to give any radical suggestions to the Mets, but I just think it, but I just, I just really think that like a managerial move might be a little too much at this point for, for, for the Mets to go in that direction. Cause I feel like they already have a decent direction. They can be going in on the field, even if it's not shown in the front office, like just look at a lot of the, players they have they have a lot of talent on the field now and they can they could be competitors in like one or two years yeah and i i would have been surprised i guess to see rojas get the axe immediately um after not coaching a single game uh but you make a great point that i hadn't thought at all about carlos beltran maybe if alex cora going back to the red sox if that creates some sort of precedent and aj hinch we're going to talk about him as well getting hired that if we're bringing the, the questionable guys back into play here, then maybe the Mets could go with the, the one they originally wanted. But then again, that was the old managerial group, or I'm sorry, the old ownership group, I should say, in the old front office that was ready to bring Carlos Beltran in. So I'm not totally sure what Steve Cohen's managerial preference is, and maybe he's not totally sure yet either. But if I had to guess right now, I would say that Rojas is probably going to be their manager for 2021. I would think with with maybe all the sweeping front office changes that we saw on Friday, if uh, if the new owner was going to go ahead and get rid of Rojas, maybe it would have happened there. But moving on from the Mets, because we really don't know anything more than that right now, other than that they've definitely got some front office turnover coming, and, and that's going to be something to watch for. We talked about it a little bit. Uh, Alex Cora going back to the Red Sox. I... I honestly hadn't really been thinking about that much on my radar. Ben, were, were you surprised to see Cora rejoining Boston? Well, I was very surprised. I mean, I, I don't remember that ever happening. A manager getting like suspended from a team and then them saying, oh, look, you know what? You let our team down with this. You, you were responsible in one of our scandals. But hey, come on back. We, we want you. We still want you. It's like what it's like was he did they did they want more years of that do they like suddenly think that he'll magically be able to turn them up around again as like someone who will as like and, and and not use the same in a different method than he might have used in 2018 i mean it's I, I, I was I was really shocked about that. I feel like I would have been less shocked if maybe Cora had been hired by another team. Like I'm not saying Cora was unqualified, but just the fact that his old team decides to bring him up out after he kind of, in some ways, I'd say, let them down with that with some of his controversial moves. The same way that people could argue Hinch let the Astros down is quite shocking to me. I wouldn't argue with that point that Cora did let the Red Sox down with that behavior and allowing that to go on. But 
clearly not a big enough deal to keep them from hiring him again. And certainly does seem like an unprecedented move to me, but I think they're chasing that 2018 World Series success, man. And they think Cora can get them back. And it kind of makes sense. You look at that roster, there's still a lot of those hitters that were on that championship team. You still have Chris Sale, hopefully coming back healthy in 2021. And I think it's reasonable that Boston could take some steps forward and be competitive again. And going in and getting their guy in Cora shows that they're not really interested in a prolonged rebuild or anything. I think they're perhaps going to be spending some money in this offseason as well, bringing in some more pitching, hopefully, if they want to be competitive, perhaps some bullpen help, uh, maybe even a hitter or two. You know, you, you've got to stack up to be able to keep up with those New York Yankees, as Adam Cohen loves to remind us when he's on. Uh, that sounded like I'm taking a dig at Adam. I was just kind of shouting him out from afar. He, he's our resident Yankee expert. Um, but man, I think the Red Sox are going to be better sooner than later. And I think Cora, like you said, definitely still a qualified guy. And I think there was definitely more to their success in 2018 than the cheating that they got busted for. No, I agree with that. Yeah. I didn't mean to, I didn't want to totally rain on Cora and it wasn't, I mean, the other thing was, it wasn't, who knows how much of it was really the managerial fault. Like, as we know in Houston, a lot of it was not necessarily Hinch's fault with a lot of it because he actually did it sounds like he actually took more action to get rid of some of the monitors in the room i don't know if cora took as much of the action but yeah i mean put but but i guess putting back the pieces when they're able to is is not for for the red sox is not a terrible idea and i mean they, they they have a trend the red sox have that trend of like doing good doing good like winning the world series then then suddenly struggling the next year, something like a World Series hangover, and then doing, and then do, and then doing several years later with a completely new team doing great again, and then, and then suffering the thing. So who knows? I mean, this year they can start to, I think they can start to become great again after when, when people won't be expecting them to. Similar to kind of what happened that after the 2012 season when they were terrible, and then 2013 they ended up going all the way. You make a great point, Ben. They do kind of seem to do this in cycles. They have their periods of being really, really awesome. And for the most part, I'm not saying they haven't been a dynasty, a dominant dynasty, uh, but then they do have those hangovers, those seasons where there's a bit of a transition period and then boom, all before you know it, they're right back to being awesome. And I think we could be on the verge of seeing that again in 2021, but they at least still going to be very, very competitive. The Yankees and the Rays not going anywhere. And the Blue Jays making it into that expanded playoffs last year. And I believe Rob Manfred uh, was quoted recently talking about how he doesn't think expanded playoffs are, are going to be here to stick. Am I am I imagining that, Ben, or did Manfred say something to that effect? Uh, actually, not to my knowledge, but I did I didn't know. I mean, I know that he wasn't so sure about some of the other stuff, like the universal DH. Yet he was sure about the whole runner on second extra innings, which sounded pretty bizarre to me that he was about what he was sure about. But I didn't. I didn't exactly. Yeah. I haven't exactly feel like I don't feel like we haven't gotten the full word on extended playoffs yet. That's gonna. That's gonna take some time to develop. I thought it was kind of exciting and certainly more television money from it. So I kind of expected the league to maybe trend in that direction, but it is kind of weird and it's hard to compare against eras when you're adding in changes like that. And then 
who knows that one year when you have the team that just gets hot in the playoffs and maybe otherwise wouldn't have made it, they're like a 500 ball club or something, then that could be pretty controversial. Um, but something that the Red Sox may want to hope for was my point I was making originally because that AL East, man, is, is crowded with established talent and up-and-coming talent in the form of the Blue Jays and not yet the Orioles, but perhaps someday. Um, but another transitioning over to another managerial hire, another team that's hoping to be up-and-coming maybe in a year or two and Speed it up with a good manager, the Detroit Tigers, bringing in A.J. Hinch, the other sign-stealing, disgraced manager, uh, getting a second chance. And I think it's a great hire for Detroit. You, you get a guy that never would have dreamed of coaching the Tigers, and then he falls from grace and gets another chance. Uh, I, I don't know if they're going to be competitors or for in 2021, but I mean, I think it's a good coach and hopefully uh, could help turn around things in Detroit. Ben, uh, any takeaways for you from the Hinch hiring? I gotta agree with you there, Henry. I think you hit it right on point that Hinch is the kind is the kind of manager that can be good for, especially like a young and experienced, but a, a team with a lot of young like future potential future with some of their prospects like the Tigers. Just seeing what he was able to do with to help develop the Astros talent. I mean, I know the Astros talent somewhat started developing a little bit before. AJ Hinch came. I mean, he really. I feel like he took them to the top a lot, a lot faster than like many were expecting the Astros to do that. Like no one expected Astros to like fall into being a competitor right away. And they basically did right when AJ Hinch comes. So I could see, I could see them coming, falling into potentially being a a competitor very soon with 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 Hinch turning them around. I mean, I still, I know they still got young and experienced they might need a couple years, but I think it's overall an excellent hire for them. And I think it could be one of their better managerial moves this past decade. And I feel like they have been drafting pretty well over the last couple of years. We saw a little bit of Casey Mize at the end of 2020 and Ah, uh, yeah, I forget what the guy's name was, but out of San Diego State or something, who they took like first overall it was like Spencer Torkelson or something. Maybe was uh, first pick in the draft, something like that. But I mean, I, I do think that they're going to have some star players potentially coming up through uh, their farm system. And AJ Hinch seems to have a good track record of developing those star-like players and then helping them to reach their maximum potential. Guys like Carlos Correa, Alex Bregman. Um, Jose Tuve, or Jose Altuve, I should say, even George Springer, all those Houston Astros that certainly blossomed under AJ Hinch's watch. So I think that it's, it's Detroit should be optimistic about it. The only thing I would be worried about is he does too well and then ends up hopping ship, going to a team, a ball club that's perhaps a little bit further along and ready to compete for a World Series. Yeah, I don't. I, I mean, I, I, I can, I don't see, I mean, I don't see teams trading managers as often, but I, I definitely think that AJ Hinch was a great move. I mean, what they were doing with, I mean, it seemed like they were developing slowly. It just didn't seem like Ron Gardenhire was getting them anywhere. He has been a great manager, but I think it was time they kind of moved on from Ron Gardenhire there onto someone who actually has a little more proven success than AJ Hinch. Well, you could make the point moving on from Ron Gardenhire. You're kind of buying into the league-wide youth movement. Uh, and A.J. Hinch, a guy who's like 45, kind of the more 
player friendly uh, movement, if you will, younger guys who in theory relate better to the player pool and better able to, to break through with those guys and, and better attuned to the analytics era and kind of just the way the game looks today. Uh, and then you have the Chicago White Sox kind of going against that grain and bringing in Tony Larusa, the senior citizen manager hire. Um, Tony Larusa is like pushing 80 years old, and I know that's that's kind of a lazy take, and everybody is doing it, but it just doesn't make sense to me with how young and fun that roster is to just try and, and go for a dude who hasn't managed in 10 years, who I, I don't know if he's going to be able to connect to their young core like that, which isn't to say Tony LaRussa isn't a great manager. He's a Hall of Famer for a reason. I just I would much rather be getting a guy like A.J. Hinch right now than a Tony LaRussa. So I, I didn't think that was a great hire for the White Sox. I, I, I'm going to somewhat agree with you there. I mean, well, first off, it seems like their team is trending upward in the right direction. I mean, they only came – few innings away from potentially moving on the playoffs when it was a lot of their guys' rookie rookie years. Like that series against my A's really could have gone either way. So I was I was first off awfully surprised about their firing of Rick Renteria that when the team seemed like it was trending in the right direction. And then and then Tony LaRusso, I mean I was even more shocked about this hiring too. I'll have to agree with you there that with a young team like that, uh, my, my biggest issue with it that I think is that, I mean, Tony La Russa, he could pioneer things again in the game because he has been a pioneer of the game. He was kind of a pioneer behind a lot of these analytics stuff early in the 80s, kind of the pre-money ball days when he managed the White Sox first, then the A's, and then the Cardinals. He was kind of, he had a success with being like an early, an early analytics guy with some of his strategy, but just seeing, I don't know what he's been doing the past few years. I think of baseball as one of those games that's almost like a 24-7 game, seeing all the changes. It'll be interesting to see how he adjusts to a lot of the changes with what teams are doing and the kind of players we're seeing these days. That's kind of my biggest concern about him, I'd say, is not maybe not as much age, but more, but more like just experience in this era of baseball and lack of experience in recent years, basically. And I don't want to pick on Tony LaRussa too much for being old, um, but he is. And maybe you can kind of say, too, you can't teach an old dog new tricks that, I mean, he's a guy who is a Hall of Famer who, like, I, you could very easily see he, like, knows how to do things his way. And I think it's reasonable to assume that maybe he would be a little bit resistant to this kind of new era of baseball that, like you said, it's so important. The game is changing so much, it seems like, on a year-to-year -year basis that you need to be attuned to those changes and, and know how to deal with them and configure your lineup and your team to best perform in that environment. And I think there's definitely going to be a little bit of a, a period where Tony La Russa may struggle to adjust to that, no matter how great his players are. I, I don't know if their playing styles are necessarily going to you know, and I'm talking almost like this is football or something, like you're trying to orchestrate like Tony LaRusso's offensive scheme. But I think it'll be interesting. I don't know if it's a great fit, and I'm, they could prove me wrong. There's still a plenty talented team. I'm sure they're going to be competitive in the AL Central at least. Um, but it'll, it'll be interesting to see Tony LaRusso back in baseball, if nothing else. Um, but that is all the managerial news we have to discuss so far, Ben. Um, so 
why don't we go ahead and take a look at some of the silver slugger winners and you being an AL guy, you, do you want to go down the list and see maybe any that stuck out to you? It was really, it was a really interesting year for the silver sluggers. I, I gotta, I gotta say, I mean, I was, a lot of them were not super surprised in seeing it, but like seeing catcher Salvador Perez win it again. I mean, people forget about him that he still got it with his age. I mean, just seeing that the Royals have completely done over the past few years is interesting. DJ LeMay here. I mean, he's never been known as like the biggest power here, but now to see him win the silver slugger just makes him an all around all around great player. I, I anticipate him to be. And then, but a player who kind of stood out for me a lot this year would have to be designated hitter Nelson Cruz, the fact that he had one had like a career season at like his age of forty or something, whatever his years are, and he, he was just such a big standout. Yeah, he was just and the fact that he was such a big standout this season, a veteran like him, it was 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 really interesting. And just seeing the combination, I just like the combination of players when you look at each position, like the all team. There you have like. You have veterans like Nelson Cruz, Salvador Perez, but then you DJ LeMayhew, but then you also have some uh, a youngster and Tim Anderson and like Eloy Jimenez there who are like the future of the game. So it de definitely shows that there were that hitting wise there was there was there was a variety in terms of age groups when it came to these different positions. Absolutely. I think it was a great list, and I do love to see that variety. Another youngin' on there, uh, Toscar Hernandez, the Blue Jays outfield slugger, had a great season and happy to see him rewarded with the hardware. Uh, Tim Anderson, another yeah, young, exciting guy, happy to see him get that. And Salvador Perez, another one that really stuck out to me. I'm glad you mentioned that. Coming off his ACL tear, being able to recapture that former glory and Definitely a bright spot on an otherwise pretty bleak Royals lineup that didn't have a very great year at all. And Nelson Cruz, man, 40 years old, like you said, still getting it done. Uh, amazing year. Was, I thought, going to be an MVP candidate. Ultimately uh, fell a little bit short of that, right? No, no, Nor Nelson Cruz, actually, he, he is a finalist. But we're going to get into MVP in a second. Uh, Obviously, Nelson Cruz may not be my pick if, if I'm ready to snub him, say he wasn't a finalist. Uh, but still, breaking down the rest of the Silver Sluggers, we go across, look at the National League. Travis Darno getting it at catcher. The Atlanta Braves backstop had a great season swinging the uh, bat. Freddie Freeman, another Atlanta Brave and MVP candidate. I do know that one, uh, getting the first base Silver Slugger hardware. And then a bit of a surprise at second base, a guy who I had no idea who he was coming into the season, Donovan Solano, batted like 340 or something for the San Francisco Giants, had a great year and a pretty surprising season for San Francisco. They were a lot more competitive than many people thought. Manny Machado, Fernando Tatis at third base and shortstop respectively, another surprise team in the Padres. In the outfield, Juan Soto, Mookie Betts, Ronald Acuna. Uh, no real surprises there. A bunch of studs. Marcel Ozuna in the new DH Silver Slugger Award for this season. Ben, uh, some pretty looked like pretty deserving field in the NL as well. Would you agree? I definitely would agree there, a hundred percent. Like one name who I was maybe a little. Well, actually, I mean, 
I was I was gonna say where was Travis Darnellis, but then I realized he was <laughs> he, he he did he did get as the catcher. But yeah, like I think it looks. I think the list overall looks really accurate with a lot of the names. Just looking at the stats, and it's just it's incredible. It's pretty incredible. I mean, just seeing a lot of these other guys and and seeing like a bunch of a couple of like different pairs from teams get it and three the fact that like four atlanta braves get out I remember like seeing four stars from one team get it before and then somebody's shocking to look at that and think oh but they didn't even win the world series they came close and it's it's a, it's a good it's a great good list didn't to even make it to the world series that. yeah <laughs> not to mention they almost did but they kind of blew it but I think, but I think, yeah, it's a history-making list. I mean, Marcelo Zuna will go down in history, the first DH in the National League to ever win it. And who knows, possibly, you could possibly be the only DH in the National League to ever win it wherever this DH rule goes. I do think historic, certainly, that he's the first one, but I, I disagree with you there. Now, I, you didn't actually go as far as making the take, but I would say that there are going to be more NLDH is to come. I think that war rule is going to stick around, but I agree with you too. I love this list. I think they did a great job. No snubs that I can think of, at least for Silver Slugger. I should say Juan Soto. I'm glad they gave him the Silver Slugger because he definitely, I think, should have been an MVP finalist. He, Well, I guess the argument is that he didn't have enough games, but the stats still jumping off the page for you with Juan Soto. Uh, but before we move on to what is still to come, such as MVP, uh, we have more that have been announced so far. Uh, ben, you want to run us through the Gold Glove winners in the AL? Yeah, it's 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 a good it's another interesting list with Gold Glove winners. I mean, a couple guys who I was used to winning it. My computer's lagging a little, but I had the list in front of me. But there's a little bit of a lag trying to scroll down the document. Oh, there we go. <laughs> but I, I just want to talk about one change. It's interesting that like. My A's, who have been known as like a defensive team, I just want to say not a single one of them this year got Golden Gloves, despite like three of them last year getting it. Like you didn't have no Matt Olson this year. Nope, first year and first time in three years, Matt Olson did not get it at first base, so that ends his reign there. Ends Matt Chapman's reign at the hot at the other hot corner, third base, not getting it this year. And then you also had. Yeah, no, but with Chapman, I, I guess the argument would be not enough games, though, right? Oh, no, yeah, he was not enough games anyways. But, so, that, I mean, that wasn't super shocking. I remember he did even make, like, a few more errors this year than, like, I was like his fielding percentage I don't think was as good this year anyways. But, like, Robbie Grossman not getting in. The, the closest that came to game was Ramon Laureano, who was nominated. But, like, we kind of touched on, on last week's show with Adam. He wasn't. Ex he wasn't exactly the favorite to get it anyways. So it was just interesting seeing that, seeing the defensive team that the A's are not having as many guys on that team get it. What do you think of the list though? I still have to kind of pull this list up. <laughs> I, I did think it was interesting to see the A's not get any on there, but I do think the guys that Overtook some of those positions were, were certainly deserving players. Uh, Evan White, the first baseman for the Mariners, division rival, taking it, uh, the gold glove at first base. And he was a rookie I liked coming into the season. I, I liked him as a rookie of the year, dark horse. 
the bat was pretty awful for Evan White, but he's like one of the most athletic first basemen in baseball. Dude is blazing fast. He honestly should probably play the outfield. He may be a bit of a waste at first base, but a great glove there. So glad to see him rewarded with the hardware. Cesar Hernandez, uh, pretty deserving second baseman. He's got a solid glove. No argument there. J.P. Crawford, shortstop for the Mariners, taking it home. And I really, the one I really liked that stood out to me, uh, Isaiah Kiner Farfalifa. I don't know how to okay, is his last name. Yeah. <laughs> what I do know about him is that he plays all over the diamond and was, uh, this was actually his first like full season as a third baseman, I guess. And he was great defensively. So to step up to the hot corner position that you're kind of new to and, and be a kind of like a super utility man and be able to win the gold glove. I thought that was awesome. Uh, so certainly I would think a deserving candidate to overtake Chapman. And then in the outfield, Alex Gordon for the Royals, Luis Robert for the White Sox, and a guy known for his huge bat uh, who actually has a very underrated glove and got rewarded for it in Joey Gallo, uh, winning that in right field for the Rangers. Happy to see that for the big guy. Yeah, and I was just thinking, I, I pulled up the list again, I was having technical difficulties, but yeah, I, I look at the list, I mean, look look, look at the mix in outfield, It's the outfield was really exciting, I mean, seeing Alex Gordon in his last year, the veteran, w win yet another gold glove, something he's been known for doing throughout his career, and then it's kind of cool how you're seeing, like, in left field, you're seeing, like, the the, the last generation of gold, of gold glove winner winning in then in, and then in center field you have a rookie in Luis Roberts so then you're seeing the next generation of 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 a guy winning it in center field so that's kind of an interesting stark contrast in the AL and then I mean Griffin Canning winning at pitcher which is always I feel like the most overlooked position with gold glove because I <laughs> who really pays attention to like the pitcher's fielding but I mean Griffin Canning really established himself as more of a name this year and he might he might have the ability to maybe put some life in a in a struggling Angels rotation but yeah I want to I think we're ready to move on to the NL gold gloves there were a lot of interesting ones there as well Yes, and, and certainly with Griffin Canning, got to be able to field your position. You do all that pitcher's fielding practice for a reason. Uh, but running through that NL list real quick, Tucker Barnhart taking it home at catcher. Yadier Molina was pissed. He was not even a top three finalist. He claims the MLB is trying to protect Johnny Bench and box him out. Or I think it was Johnny Bench, not Yogi Berra. Yeah, it was Bench. Uh, so Yadier's a big baby. Tucker Barnhart deserving for the Reds. Happy to see that. Anthony Rizzo, really happy to see that, taking it home for first base. I believe that's Rizzo's like fourth or fifth gold glove. He's a beast. Colton Wong hit second base, uh, taking it home for the Cardinals. He's going to be a free agent, so great defense available there. And then uh, at shortstop, Javi Baez, another cubby coming in. Javi known for some of the fastest hands in baseball, if not the planet, on his amazing tags and making amazing plays look routine. He is a joy to watch with the glove and even when a year when the bat was pretty pathetic for Javi Baez taking home his first career gold glove feels like he should have like three of them by now uh, but a guy who does have uh, three plus of them he actually has eight of them the last eight Nolan Arenado taking it home again at third base Ben is he the best defender in all of baseball 
I have to say, I mean, he probably is. When you win it at the hot corner that many years, almost all years in baseball, especially, especially like, I mean, I, I look at Coors Field too, where he plays. I mean, seeing that the ball not only not only does the ball obviously travel farther in the air, but it also travels a little harder on the ground. And just seeing that he's been able to make play after play like that look routine, I think he might have he could have established himself as he could be. He's not only I think the best fielder in the game right now but he might have he might have just potentially put his legacy as one of the best third baseman of all time joining up there with guys like brooks robinson and i just wanted to one thing about the al was interesting was i mean a lot ch- or i was or one thing about both gold leagues gold gloves that was interesting is there were a lot of changes this year actually in gold glove not as many guys i feel like winning consecutive ones because i alluded to the net a few of the A's guys didn't win consecutive but then also like in the AL, you also didn't have Angelton Simmons didn't win the gold glove this year, even though he's been known as the household name of a short stop. He is. He all, he didn't win a gold glove in the AL, but like Nolan Arenado, but like to see Nolan Arenado do it consistently just kind of adds to his legacy in my view. Absolutely. And I think it was a healthy mix. Uh, we, I, we don't want to see the same guys win it every single year, but it, it is nice to know that if you're a deserving candidate, you can win it uh, year after year. And to see Arenado do that was awesome. A guy who does that as well, who had won it like three years in a row in right field uh, or center field or right field for the AL is Mookie Betts uh, coming over and taking it for the NL now, starting his own streak over here. Um, Jason Hayward, a guy who's won a lot of gold gloves, uh, not getting it this year. He was a finalist with Charlie Blackman as well. Not necessarily known for the glove, but shouts out to him for being a finalist, but I don't think anybody's mad about Mookie Betts taking it home. He's a tremendous defender and tremendous hitter as well. Tremendous player all around, uh, Trent Grisham for the Padres and Tyler O'Neill, the other outfielders in the NL, and then Max Freed, the pitcher taking it home in the NL. All in all, like you said, Ben, I think a pretty pretty good crop, deserving candidates. And that leaves uh, two awards, which we do not know the winner of yet, the MVP and the Cy Young. Ben, which one do you want to dive into first? Well, I'd like to look at I'd like to look at MVP real quick, because in the I mean in, in the AL, it's really interesting. That one's definitely gonna be one of the more ambiguous awards in the AL and then in, in AL because you have quite a few of the competitors here like the fact that I told you about Nelson Cruz and him leading the league in homers but he was barely a contender but then you look at the, a lot of the other names you have Jose Abreu, Mike Mike Trout, DJ LeMay, Hugh it's good that's going to be a that's definitely going to be a real toss-up in the AL. NL seems a little more limited with with MVP because it kind of seems to be between sort of Fernando Tatis Jr. and Mookie Betts probably, but but then when it comes to Cy Young, it's kind of the opposite. I was just thinking because in the AL, you pretty much, I feel like you have pretty much have a sure winner in Shane Bieber, but then the NL is kind of a toss up when it comes to the Cy Young award here. I would agree absolutely. Shane Bieber is the one that we can sharpie in. We know he is going to be the Cy Young. I think Shane Bieber could have been the MVP, um, but definitely going to be a tight race al mvp and i kind of feel like it's going to be dj lemayhew personally uh do you do you have a favorite in the al mvp race ben i actually really like dj lemayhew too i mean he had the he had the best overall ops so he established his real mix at the 
play. I mean, I think it can definitely be a race between him. I mean, I like what Mike Trout has done this season, but his season was maybe a little underwhelming. So his, I'm a little underwhelming compared to past seasons, even though if anyone else had the kind of season he had, it would be considered great. So I just, so, I mean, I'm, so like, I, I, so I'm afraid Mike Trout's MVP reign might come to an end this season. But yeah, I'm liking DJ LeMayhew or Jose Abreu too. Like he was kind of, he, he like he was kind of the core of like that incredible White Sox lineup. And then in the NL, I think I think it's I think it's definitely between like I was saying Fernando Tatis Jr. and Mookie Betts. But for the for the five to a player that Mookie Betts was and what he's done switching leagues i think he could make history as one of the only players to win it in both leagues this year he's kind of my pick for nl i don't know about you i do kind of lean mookie bets over tatis too i think uh maybe perhaps recency bias not only mookie coming on winning the world series which in theory it's a regular season award it's, it's not supposed to matter but even then what did happen in the regular season tatis definitely cooled off in the second half wasn't as impressive um so i think mookie betts he came on down the stretch and really surged to i think probably take home the mvp award and and then certainly going on winning the world series not supposed to matter but i think it, it may end up being the difference here i would predict bets uh and i'm glad you you mentioned jose abreu too that we shouldn't think about him or we shouldn't i'm sorry we shouldn't not think about him I think too often we take Abreu for granted, but he hits 100-plus RBIs for the White Sox every year. Actually still led the league in RBI this year with 60 in a 60-game season, which is pretty amazing. That's 162 pace in a, in a regular season. So maybe Jose Abreu in the AL having a chance as well. I would still predict LeMahieu. And I am joining you in Mookie Betts predicting in the NL MVP like we said, Shane Bieber for sure going to be AL Cy Young, but NL Cy Young is where it gets interesting. I have a favorite, but I want to hear your thoughts first, Ben. I think I might know who your favorite is. I mean, with some bias, if I'm guessing right, but I'm thinking, I'm thinking definitely Trevor Bauer, just for the kind of season, the kind of season he had was. Just he, he looked virtually indestructible, and just how he like really cemented his name in the game of baseball and made himself known. So I'm liking Trevor Bauer, but I think there's a lot of other potential sleepers who could get the award. Like I'm not going to rule out you, Darvish. I'm not going to rule out even Clayton Kershaw, who people forget still had a pretty good season. I'm not going to. I'm not going to even rule out Trevor Bauer's teammate, Luis Castilla. I mean, his stuff looked like some of, he had some of the best movement on a lot of his pitches, but I'm, but if I had to make a prediction, one prediction, I think I'd have to narrow it down to Trevor Bauer. I will rule out some of those guys uh, because they announced the three finalists as Darvish Bauer and Jacob deGrom going for the three Pete. Um, so I, and I do think it certainly could be Trevor Bauer and, you are correct. My my favorite is you, Darvish. My fingers are crossed for him. And I'll tell you why. Uh, Trevor Bauer did lead the league in both ERA and WHIP, but Darvish was just a hair behind him in each of those categories. The strikeout numbers were comparable. And then Darvish 
just about doubled him up in wins. He was actually the first Japanese-born pitcher to ever lead the MLB in wins. He also led the National League in war. And I think some of the underlying metrics may lean Darvish over Bauer in that his his FIP, his fielding independent pitching, was a full run lower than Trevor Bauer's. Bauer did have the edge in ERA, uh, but so many times that stat cannot be totally indicative of a pitcher's, the things he can control. Uh, so when, you know, balls get put into play, things kind of can get crazy and, and not all defenses are created equal. Not all batted balls are created equal. Sometimes it's it's windy and sometimes just a player's timing on a swing is going to impact where a ball goes. So I think perhaps the underlying uh, more hard an- analytics measures, maybe saying Darvish over Bauer. I hope so. At least I am absolutely biased. I will admit that. Um, and but I do think something else that's that's not so underlying is that Darvish led his team to the division championship. Uh, the Reds did make the playoffs; they were a wild card team. The Mets did not at all. So, and, and this, it's kind of the same thing with Jacob Degrom; he gets no run support and didn't win any games. So, I'm hoping the wins and then having the ratios that are nearly good enough, or, or I'm sorry, nearly as good as Bowers, are is enough to elevate Darvish to the Cy Young. Yeah, that's gonna. Yeah, that's an interesting point you bring up about like a lot of the other external factors. But I do think that like some of the big stats still kind of speak for themselves with Cy Young, and then one more awards. But that would be that would be definitely a fun race to watch. And then our last award we'll get to that kind of, I'd say has maybe two contenders in each league is the rookie of the year award we didn't touch on I just want to quickly touch on how in the NL it's either going to be probably Jake Cromanworth of the Padres big part of their success this year or Devin Williams who was like the one pitcher that was consistent for the Brewers and kind of the reason why they got one of the reasons they got to the playoffs AL you got Luis Robert who's a kind of a personal favorite of mine then you also got but then you also got Christian Javier is another another interesting contender for that. What's your thoughts on the rookie of the year? Yeah. And then the other, the final AL finalist, uh, you mentioned Robert and Javier and then Kyle Lewis for Seattle was the finalist in the AL. And then the NL, it was Alec Baum, the young outfielder for the Phillies who I think only played like 25 games maximum. So I didn't really think he had too much of a shot there. I think I, I like the way the two you mentioned are, are the definitely the two favorites and Devin Williams and Cronenworth. I mean, usually you think the position player would have the edge, but Devin Williams was phenomenal for the Brewers and he had like a 0.5 ERA on the season. He was probably the, probably the best relief pitcher in all of baseball. Um, certainly the best on his own team. And, and Josh Hader actually had another pretty awesome season as well. So Big accomplishment for Devin Williams, and I think he should end up being the rookie of the year. Cronenworth had a good year at the plate as well, too. There weren't a whole lot of, of great NL rookie bats to compete with, um, so I think maybe Devin Williams ends up taking it home in the NL. And I think in the AL, it should be Luis Robert, no doubt. He had a great year for the White Sox. Christian Javier pitched well for the Astros as well, but I think I think Luis Robert was a much more noticeable star and, and is going to be an MVP candidate very soon. Yeah, most definitely. It's going to be, that's going to be another good race. And it just shows baseball's 
really baseball's really got another great feature of talent. I mean, Jake Cronworth's going to be fun to watch down the line, not only with his bat, but with his glove at second base. Like I thought he should have been a gold glove contender too. And then Luis Robert, just like I've been saying before in shows, he looked like a pure natural only as a rookie. So that's, so like baseball should be overall optimistic about some of some of the future of the game that we were seeing here. Absolutely, you should. Did always love looking forward to the future of the game with the Rookie of the Year nominees, and a couple more. I, I just realized looking down in the notes that there's a couple AL fin- or I'm sorry MVP finalists that we forgot to mention as well. Uh, and the AL, how could we forget Jose Ramirez with the Cleveland Indians? He is one of those three finalists along with Jose Abreu and DJ. Mayhew, and then Freddie Freeman in the NL, who I actually think has a very good shot of taking that home over Mookie Betts. Do you think any chance of Jose Ramirez in the AL or Freddie Freeman in the NL for MVP, Ben? Oh, I think definitely a chance of Jose Ramirez in the AL. I mean, looking at this here, he act, he actually has the fifth best OPS, and his slug his slugging stats were like out of this world this year. He was. He was something special, but then I mean, but and then in terms of Freddie Freeman, yeah, I think Freddie Freeman was a has always been a real underrated part all these years with his with his high batting average and he's and and he and showing he has some power. So I I don't think neither either of them are going to overtake it. I mean, I think Jose Ramirez is more of the possibility to overtake it, given how like he kind of was the one real like bat that carried the Indians team. But I think they could definitely. They deserve to be in the talk for sure. And in the talk they are, and we will find out on MLB Network Wednesday, November 11th. We will find out both the Cy Young. Actually, I'm sorry. That's the Cy Young on the 11th. The MVP will be the following day. That's Thursday the 12th, also on MLB Network. Until then, we are Exit Velo. Thank you for tuning in. This has been Henry and Ben in episode 54. We'll catch you on Thursday probably for episode 55. Until then, you all have a good one and stay safe.